The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Hanging with my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, I'm hoping that it being Monday Night Football together, maybe we got eight hours of sleep. I think that's that's something we, we could aim toward. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if we did that or not. I know I didn't. <laughs> the Chief, the Chiefs, of course, win twenty to seventeen on Monday Night Football. It's the case of a game, I think, where you're thrilled. I think that the Chiefs were able to get out of Arrowhead Stadium with the win, but it was not the typical win. I, I think that you want to see against a team that really shouldn't be anywhere near in your league. We'll get more into that with our not-so-marinated takeaways because this game only happened about 12 hours ago <laughs> as we're recording this. If you like the podcast, please leave us uh, what is a rating and a review. We'll be continuing to pump out content uh, all week. We have some breaking news we have to talk about. We have some news from last night. I think the pressing news and, and the news that everyone's going to be talking about today on NFL trade deadline day is the Chiefs finally striking a deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We had heard rumblings of this happening for the past few weeks now. Melvin Ingram on his way to Kansas City. It's been confirmed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's been confirmed by the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs end up sending a sixth rounder, not their own sixth rounder, which they had already traded uh, for what was Mike Hughes, but the Baltimore Ravens six rounder that they had acquired in the Orlando Brown Jr. trade that now goes to Pittsburgh. John, when you first heard of this news, what was your initial reaction? Well, uh, they made a much better deal than they would have uh, gotten for him when if they'd signed him back in March. I mean, that's the bottom line to this. I think a lot of people want to criticize the Chiefs management for trading for a guy, giving up draft picks for a player that they could have signed without draft picks, but they would have had to sign him for like four or five million dollars. Um, that would have come against the Chiefs' cap. They couldn't afford it then. They can't afford it now. So they give up a sixth-round pick and get him this year for a little bit under $600,000. I just see this as a positive. Um, You know, much like the Josh Gordon deal, you know, we may not get anything out of it, but it didn't cost much, and it was affordable. So uh, we'll see what happens. 
Right. I think I'm in agreement with you. Where I I struggle a little bit right now with the Chiefs is I I think they're whole offseason plan and rightly so was to revamp the offensive line mm-hmm. yeah whether or not that is working i don't know i i think you're really good along the interior the tackles have left some room to be desired the chiefs admitted as much by bringing mike remmers in to start at right tackle i know lucas niang ended up starting last night uh, with mike remmers dealing with an injury orlando brown jr and whether that was the right move i think the jury is still very much out on that I don't love the feeling that it's been a little bit patchwork on some of these other issues. And, you know, you really rely on your personnel staff to have the foresight to address these things in the offseason. You see them bringing Josh Gordon as a legitimate candidate to be a number two wide receiver, what would be your third pass option, which, which at this point we've kind of seen with the way teams are playing Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. You desperately need that has not worked yet. Again, jury's still out on that. That could change. We'll see if Josh Gordon can continue to develop here. And then, you know, now you have the defensive line thing. And I guess you have, you're happy that the Chiefs, in, in a way, are cutting their losses with this Chris Jones, what was this defensive end experiment. I think they were really high on the idea that Jaron Reed would come in and be a force. By domino effect, that hasn't really happened. Jones, in a sense... Uh, has become less of a valuable player on the outside. And I think now you're seeing a correction. Uh, the snaps last night, and we'll have further snap counts as we go again because this game happened last night, so we're going to um, be a little bit later this week on that. But Chris Jones's snaps as a tackle were 28, and he was only 14 um, uh, on the outside. Now, I, I do think the game dictated a little bit of this because Jones had been spending – passing downs on the inside and the chiefs were actually winning in a game and you mm-hmm. know could to a certain point put him there where they want him on the the passing downs um but again i i do think that this move from melvin ingram extends to jones in the sense that ingram is a pass rusher maybe now you really do see them walk back what was this experiment of maybe having jones on the outside a little bit more well that could be um you know, what we were told was that Jones would go back and forth between an end and tackle, depending on the opponent in the situation. That really hasn't happened this year until last week. And now what you're telling me is that we're back to something close to the percentage he was last year. He was on yeah. the outside a little bit and on the inside most of the time. So it could be that uh, we're moving back to Jones on the inside as the primary responsibility, or it could be just that it, you know, happened to play out that way. However, uh, they certainly have more options if they have Ingram on the team and they aren't short of body if they move Jones mostly right. to the inside. And I, so I, I think there's, I think that could recommend that, that could suggest that the Chiefs are giving up on that particular experiment, which will be welcomed by a lot of people who thought it was the wrong move. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to be honest here. I loved moving Jones to the outside. I made that very yeah. clear with my bold prediction in the offseason. Yeah. I think I was wrong on this, too. And maybe we should have been a little bit more cognizant. I know in speaking with Jay Binkley, who I work over at 610 Sports Radio, he never wanted to move Jones to the outside. And he just is like, you have a elite player at the tackle position and you're putting him at a position where he's not elite. That doesn't make any sense. And I, I guess I was always just like, well, 
we don't know what Jones is as a an edge player, a primary edge player. Maybe this would lead to even more sex. The truth of the matter is, is it hasn't. It just has not worked out. And maybe that's a little bit about out of position. Maybe it's about the injury, which is the other piece of news that we found out last night. We had been wondering all of a sudden Chris Jones had a wrist injury. He tried to play through it for a few weeks at the beginning of the year was not effective inside or outside. The Chiefs shut him down for two weeks, and we found out last night, John, that Jones is dealing with torn ligaments in his wrist, which is serious stuff. Yeah. I mean, that is yeah. that is a, a painful deal, and I would guess, now I'm not a doctor here, I'd guess that that's going to require some type of surgical procedure in the offseason. I, I, I bet the Chiefs did not want to do that in season and lose Jones for an extended period of time. And he essentially admitted after the game last night, he's like, I'm not going to be 100% all year. And so he shut it down. They, they got it, as Andy Reid would say, calmed down. And now you're going to see Chris Jones just playing with this uh, inside or outside with the torn ligaments in his wrist probably for the rest of the year. Man, I, I would not want to have to play that position. Well, I wouldn't want to play football at all with that kind of an injury. I right. mean, unless, you know, they'd turn my arm into a club or something. And even then, I don't think I'd like it very much. Um, so, yeah, this is this is not the best news. And that might have something to do why the Chiefs uh, with why the Chiefs decided to go ahead and get Ingram. Uh, maybe they feel they need more depth. Um, if uh, Jones is not going to be available as much, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of permutations that we could see on this thing. Um, but uh, yeah, it's not the best news that that Jones has not been playing uh, at 100. percent Well, one thing we do know about Steve Spagnolo is that along the defensive line, he really does enjoy a rotation. Now, mm-hmm. I think ideally yeah. you'd have Chris Jones playing the majority of the game. Same thing uh, to be said about uh, Frank Clark. Uh, you're paying Jaron Reed enough to be playing a lot of the snaps. Again, we'll have to look into these snaps from the, the Giants game. Um, but if you really start naming off the players in this room now, Alex Okafor, knock on wood, finally looks like he could be healthy. Let's hope that stays the same way. Uh, Derek Nottie, Mike Dana, uh, you have Colin Saunders. He missed last game, but I, I don't think that that injury is serious. Um, Austin Edwards, our old pal, was suddenly in the mix last night. Um, you know, you have Turk Wharton, as I mentioned. Josh Kando is a reinforcement that could be coming in here. And so I I think you're going to have a a deep room, which is what Steve Spagnuolo likes. And perhaps Melvin Ingram sort of acts as as less an impact player as someone that's going to really come in and start dominating. This is a player with one sack for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they felt like they didn't necessarily need him, which is why he became expendable in Pittsburgh. But maybe it's a final piece of the puzzle where you do feel more comfortable with moving Jones back in because you have a nice rotation that you like mm-hmm. on the outside. We've yeah. said it a number of times in this podcast. Mike Dana has been the most pleasant surprise in this room, and, and Ingram only adds another body to what it can be a rotational mix. And that's what Steve Spagnuolo likes. He likes these fresh legs. He likes bringing these... Um, reinforcements in as the game goes along and to continue to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. In a way, it's kind of like the Terrell Suggs situation in 2019. Um, I mean, the acquisition is different. They picked him up on waivers. Um, But it was an inexpensive defensive lineman uh, that had not been playing at his peak, an older guy. Um, and yet he was helpful in the Super Bowl run. Um, sometimes a player like that, even if they themselves are not particularly productive, their experience and their ability to step in and play at a reasonably high level 
um, is good. You know, if your depth is uh, Kando, who we all thought was a, a pretty raw prospect, uh, you're taking a step forward within your in there uh, just from an experience level. So um, I think there's a lot to be said for making this move. I'm glad the Chiefs were able to do it without spending 4 or $5 million this year. Um, and uh, we'll just have to see, you know, how it plays out. It could be somebody who doesn't really make a big splash. That was certainly true with Suggs. Um, It's not like he put up a bunch of big numbers. But everybody talked about uh, the contribution he made as uh, as a guy that they could use in rotation, and I think that's what we might be seeing here. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, you're going to end up having what equates to a key game late in the year against his old team in Mm -hmm. the Los Angeles Chargers. So why not have that? motivation on your side to go in and uh, really have a, a strong game against your old team we know that these players are human as we're about to talk about and they like to get up <laughs> for these games against their former teams so bring on in- in- ingram and-, and see what he can do that's a game the afc west is becoming more and more important here right like mm-hmm. if you want to have a i think the afc buy is out the window regardless of these teams um, losing a little bit and it, it randomizing a little bit on a week-to-week basis. I just don't see the Chiefs running the table, which is what they would have to do to have a chance at the AFC buy. And so I, I think that the attention needs to be on the, the division at this point to get yourself a home game at the very least. And that Chargers game is going to be huge now. I mean, that's the most important yeah. game the rest of the way because you need to uh, get that one back in a sense. And uh, also against these Raiders, I, uh, I don't consider the Raiders serious, but at a certain point here, if they continue to put wins together, they're going to be the team that you have to beat. So the Chargers game to me is is the biggest one because, I, like I said, I don't necessarily consider the, the Raiders serious, but those two games as well, um, this is an obvious point here, right, that your division games are important, but I think getting right ahead of these games is crucial. Um, the Chiefs have uh, another crucial game ahead against the Green Bay Packers. That'll be a little bit of a measuring stick game. And then you have a really important game against the Raiders for your playoff hope. So uh, the reinforcements are, are coming uh, to an extent. Um, we will see how this next stretch goes, which is, is really tough ahead of the bye week. Four and four, you got games against the Packers, the Raiders, and then the Cowboys. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. Um, I mean, they're not completely out of the bye race, but – they might as well be right. Um, and the advantage to uh, getting the AFC West championship is that first of all, it guarantees you a home game, right? You don't have to fight anybody uh, on a tiebreaker, you know, guys from other div- teams from other divisions uh, in order to get in as you would with a wild card spot. And you've still got five year division games left to play. You can make up a lot of ground in the, in a division race by, by winning those games. So I, I think that is going to have to be the goal. And of course it always is the goal for the chiefs. They always put the, the winning the division as their number one goal is there is the first thing they have to knock over to get where they want to go. Um, so that wouldn't be too much of a difference for them. Um, but I think it will be a little easier to do um, depending in large part on how good the Raiders really are. Yeah, I, I still don't think we know that right now. Yeah. I, I think they're riding off a lot of steam from the coaching change. We haven't seen any consistency from Derek Carr on a year-to-year basis. He's been good this year, but I'm talking 
is there anything where you look at besides that one year with Jack Del Rio where you're like, okay, Derek Carr can get this done? I I, I can't say that yet, and I, I just don't feel strongly enough about uh, that team. Now, that being said, if they continue to put wins together, th- those games are going to be just as important, if not more important, than this game on Thursday mm-hmm. night football later in the year against the Los Angeles Chargers. So, uh, obvious point here, but the division games are now more important than ever because you've played yourself out of what would have been the contention for the bye week. Got to get that home game where yeah. it'll be in the, the wild card round uh, of the postseason. We're going to get into our not so marinated takeaways from Chiefs and Giants on Monday night. But I do want to touch upon this uh, since we have the the means to talk about it. The Tyron Matthew situation from uh, over the weekend, Friday evening into Saturday, where uh, he went online and suggested that the Chiefs fan base is toxic. Uh, Tyron Matthew, as we've covered through from the podium and on our website, walked back these comments. He apologized. He essentially said that he's all in on Kansas City. He ran out last night at Arrowhead Stadium, and it felt like that that was sort of a breakthrough for him. We know about the contract situation. Very interesting situation. Uh, Chris Jones, who we've been talking about the whole time, the beginning of this show, actually had an interesting point after the game when he was asked about interacting with fans and social media. And I, I think this one hit home for me, and it, and it should hit home for a lot of people. Let's go ahead and play that. I look at it as like this. You know, um, a, lot of, a lot of people on social media say a lot of disrespectful stuff to players, not understanding that. We're human too, and we don't go out there and try to not, I mean, trying to make mistakes or not play to our best ability. And, and I think fans get carried away so, sometimes because they be so engaged and they be so used to us winning and dominating all the time. And sometimes they get carried away. And just like a normal person have feelings, just because we're athletes, we have feelings too. And sometimes they get a little bit over the top. And, you know, some things are, are, are taken out of proportion, something that we got a lot of emotional players, you know, uh, that, that give us their heart out on this field. And I don't think we, we, try, we try to lose a game either. You know what I mean? So I think it's a little bit of both. And I think both parties get it. You know, Tyran made an apology this week. And he's an emotional guy. He's our leader. And we understand where he's coming from. I don't, I don't think... He initially meant like the Chiefs fan base is what he said. I think he talking out of a little anger, which he said. So um, I just say, man, the fans got to be condescending on how they talk to players. You know, I don't, I don't normally engage on social media because I feel like the average Joe can't get me out of my my element. It won't make or break me. But I just be condescending on, you know, how you talk to us. You know, we treat you guys with respect. We just ask for the same thing. It's not like we try not to go out and not give our all every every week for you guys. So, And we appreciate you guys dearly. I love the KC. I love the kingdom. I love the fans. And we're going to turn this thing around. So there you go. Chris Jones, I think, John, in a in a sense, is, is saying what we felt like, I think, on this show we already knew, is that like the players in their 20-somethings, sometimes they can't help but look at all this commentary about how poorly they've played and Mm -hmm. we know for a fact and i don't necessarily know if i would suggest this to anyone really but tyron matthew looks up his name every game and he does seem despite some of the love to zone in on some of these negative comments and it just seemed like this was a situation that tail spin and 
I can't say that he's right about Chiefs fans because this is every fan in the NFL. I mean, the NFL fans are passionate. And I think you're going to have a group of each fan base that when there is a lack of success, which there clearly has been on the defensive side of the football, they're going to go in. And I, I don't think that that's necessarily fair. I, I don't think it's necessarily unfair. These are paying customers that can sort of do what they want and make their own decisions. And I think this is a situation that got out of hand. And this is a plea from Chris Jones to just say to the people, like, we are working hard. And I thought what really hit home was him saying, we're not trying to lose these games. We're right. really trying hard right. to win right. these games. And, yeah. and please know that we're working hard to do that. And I think what has been tough, and, and to see Tyron kind of say this, is we love his passion in Kansas City for what he does and his job and the type of player he is and the players that he brings up and how he's really molded a young secondary to be good enough to win a Super Bowl championship and back-to-back AFC titles. And you would hate this to kind of be something that fans remember more so in his tenure than Kansas City than all of the great stuff that he's done. And maybe this can be, I think, this situation, a, a turning point. I'm, I'm not going to go as far as to say, like, the Washington locker room is the turning point for the defense. But <laughs> just a reminder between players and fans and fans and players and everybody involved in this thing that, like, we're all in this together. We all want the same thing. Everybody wants to go to L.A. and play in the Super Bowl again. And I just thought this was a real human moment for Chris Jones, and I loved it. I really loved it. You know, uh, as I've thought about this uh, over the course of the last several days since this all started filtering out there on Friday night, um, I think it's important to remember that there's a lot of gray area in this. It's not nearly as black and white as people want to make it out to be. Um, You know, nobody's completely wrong. Nobody's completely right. You know, I completely agree that uh, a player in Tyron Matthews' position should not call out fans on social media. Yet, as a human being, I understand why he would feel that way, why he would react that way after being pushed enough by people who are frankly being mean unnecessarily on social media. On the other hand, fans are certainly entitled to be upset when the team is not playing well. Absolutely they are, but that doesn't mean that they should, you know, attack another human being in a personal way um, just because they can do it anonymously on social media. So there's a lot of room for people to be right and wrong on both sides of this deal. And I think that everybody would be a lot better off if they just remembered that and stopped making it about, you know, absolutes on one side or the other, because there's really very little about this that's an absolute. What's been tough, I think, too, in my opinion, and and again, this is my opinion, and if you disagree with me, you're entitled (laughs) to that, you're a fan. sure. Whatever, and I want to say that. But... Anthony Hitchens' initial point, and and he shouldn't be in the Instagram comments of a random arrowhead. Just go on with your night and enjoy your family and your money. That's beside the point. But he ended up there, and he says, all we've done in my first couple years here is go to three straight AFC title games, win two AFC championships, and bring home a championship. And, you know, it's been bad this year. And I, mm-hmm. I see the fans, and, and they're upset with some of the moves that Brett Beach has made and, and the personnel staff and, and 
how you paid Frank Clark all of this money and, you know, you didn't really have a plan for receiver and you're up against the cap and how you're spending your money. And I just think that there is a reason why winning a Super Bowl buys people time because it's it's like nearly impossible to do. It, 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 it is. And and we saw that in Kansas City firsthand. And I think because people are all in now, as they should be, and the aspirations are so high, I think we as a, a unit and, and, and sometimes have forgotten just how hard it is to accomplish that. It took 50 years for the Chiefs to win another AFC title game and get back to the Super Bowl and, and let alone win one because of how hard and how right your, your decision-making has to be to do it once. And to me, that buys you, I don't know, it's always X amount of years, but that should buy the staff in, in a sense like five years or so to figure it out and how to do it again. I mean, it can be a flash in the pan. It's really hard to consistently do it. How many times do we see teams in the NFL make the playoffs or even get to the Super Bowl and then they're nowhere to be found? The next yeah. year, like think about happens. the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, happens all the time. Jim, Jimmy G has his pass to Emmanuel Sanders. He overshoots it. That's their story. And then they're nowhere near in any contention to go. Mm-hmm. I know it was a hot pick ahead of the season. Oh, the 49ers will be back. No, right. George Kittle is injured again. Who knows what they're doing at the quarterback position? Um, you're seeing Kyle Shanahan on the hot seat. That situation is so much worse than where the Chiefs are right at right now. They are going through some struggles but they won a super bowl and i think maybe again my opinion you can feel how you want maybe they deserve the benefit of the doubt uh to start a season 500 and and just get a few more games to figure this thing out um and that's kind of where i fall on it and I, i understand the frustration now you can't call the fan base toxic um i just think i think every fan base in the same scenario would have those few people, the at mm-hmm. percent of people right. that are the squeaky wheel that are out there. And right. um, it's not like you're going to go to a, another city anywhere, really. And they're going to be like, oh, no, three and four is a great start to the season. We're <laughs> thrilled to have you here. And that's where I think he was wrong. And, and he got a, bit, a little bit lost. NFL fans, forget the team. NFL fans, for the most part, period, are passionate and mm-hmm. I think you, you you double that down in cities like Kansas City, um, in cities even like a Green Bay or, or a Dallas. I mean, this is a lot of people's lives and why it's so important and why uh, really even in our realm, it's so fun to, to cover because the, kid, the city cares so much. And so you can't do that either. So just like I, I think all things in life, there's some good, there's some bad, I think, on both sides. But who knows? Maybe the Chiefs and the fan base in the city come out a little bit better because this happened and it starts with playing better football and supporting them a little bit better. And as always, and this is the the hard truth, winning helps everything. So if they go and they're able to build off this win against the giants, and let's say they are able to whip three, three wins in a row off and you enter the bye week seven to four, it's going to be a lot happier than it's been these last couple of weeks. So, right. It always, you know, it always solves those problems. And it's occurred to me, and and it's just one of the things that enters into this area of gray, you know, the, yes, there's people like this in all fan bases, but they're always more prevalent when the team is losing. Uh, you know, you have to wonder if the team's best player that nobody was complaining about, which certainly isn't true of either Hitchens or Matthew at this point, 
Um, you know, if Travis Kelsey had said something like this, uh, for example, would the reaction have been the same? Probably not. It's just another part of all the interlocking pieces that fit into this deal. And I, and I, and I agree. People are passionate. They've got a right to be passionate. They've got a right to their opinions. Um, they just need to be a little careful about expressing them to another human being. Um, and the guys who play, uh, you know, they need to have a little thicker skin about it. Uh, yeah, and, and shouldn't a, get into it that way. A decent point about Kelsey too is the sense that he's not really going through a contract thing right now. Right, the, right. The, that's the part of it. Also, that's another piece of it. Right. The frustrations have boiled over, really. I think from Matthew and an organizational standpoint, and and this might have just been an extension. Anyway, you know what? He 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 made a mistake. He walked it back. It it, it seemed like the Chiefs played a better game defensively last night which will be part of our not so marinated takeaways coming up <laughs> you are listening to the arrowhead pride editors show hey this is scott galloway author professor entrepreneur and most importantly host of the prop g podcast we got a special series running on right now called the future of work where i answer all your questions on surprise the future of work Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'm going to let this marinate. You know, let that one marinate, and then we can circle back. Adapt. React. Readapt. Takes time. It takes years. <laughs> That's the takeaway. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we're less than 12 or 13 hours after Monday Night Football against the New York Giants with the Chiefs coming away with a 20-17 to victory. Uh, John, not a, as much time as we usually have to think about these mm-hmm. games, but what was yeah. your takeaway so far um, from from what was Monday Night Football? Well, um, I really thought that this game showed that the defense has made some steps forward, not all the ones they need to make. Uh, I think that people who are unhappy about what happened with Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman in the game are completely right to have those views. But for the short term, these are guys that are going to be making plays, be on the field for the Chiefs in at least some situations. And even with those terrible plays, uh, the Chiefs held the the team to 17 points. That ought to be enough for the Chiefs to win if they're getting the production out of the offense that they expect. Now, they're not getting that production out of the offense right now. So that's another problem that needs to be solved. But in this particular game, I felt like the defense did its job. And I liked what I saw from the offense trying to make some changes. They didn't do it consistently enough for my liking. But we did see them, you know, trying to adjust their offense to the way they're being played by opposing defenses. And I think that's a step forward. Yeah, I would agree with you. I I have a defensive point as well. Um, I don't think I, I don't think Sorensen and Neiman are going anywhere until after the year. I don't know if they'll yeah. be back. I think this might finally mm-hmm. be the year that you don't see them back um, right. for, for a lot of reasons. Um, 
you know, I, I'd said I, I was questioning whether the Chiefs would make a deadline move along the defensive lines because I just didn't know about the salary cap space. It, it, it did become and did seem like because they were so far up against it and Ingram or nothing type of thing. And they ended up with with Ingram because the Steelers finally said, OK, we're not getting an offer from anywhere else, it seemed, because they didn't want to trade him within the AFC. I mean, the yeah. Chiefs might be a team they're going up head to head for a wild card pick, but they end up getting Ingram. But I, I just think that the improvements defensively are going to come from inside quite literally inside with chris jones moving back there i think we're going to see more of that now with ingram in the mix but i just have been so impressed with the energy that's come from willie gay and nick bolton yeah um more surprising from bolton because i think we knew what gay was we just had to see him healthy there were Mm -hmm. flashes and you said okay this player could be that Derek Johnson type of guy that we haven't seen for a long time in, in Kansas right. City. Um, we're seeing what he can do in coverage with the interception uh, in two straight games. We're seeing what he can do from a run-stuffing standpoint. His, his lateral speed might be the best on the team. But Nick Bolton has become this player that has been so good. And the thing that you keep hearing from multiple people within the organization, both at the press conferences and some of the rumblings that are coming out of Arrowhead, is he just doesn't seem like a rookie which is the type of players that the team needs to continue to draft. Creed Humphrey was a hit. Trey Smith was a hit. Nick Bolton now is a hit. Willie Gay, all these guys are on their rookie deal. You're not going to have to necessarily pay them for a while, even have to worry about that for a little bit. That buys you time to figure this thing out. I mean, the Chiefs need a couple more of those in this next NFL draft as you develop this thing. But I just think playing these guys has been such a jolt for the defense and i'm right. wondering out loud now in my not so marinated takeaway like what do you do when anthony hitchens is ready and available are you a better team with nick bolton as your green dot man racking up these tackles racking up these tackles for loss is it more of a rotational thing i think your spark plug right now are these two young guns and I, that's what i wrote in my rapid reaction last night i i think the way that they're playing is spreading to in front of them. It's spreading into the behind them. It seems like mm-hmm. the defense has a little bit of a different swagger right now. And so you move Jones inside a little bit more. You have these young guns playing. Thornhill's already you know, taken the lead as far as the safety next to Tyron Matthew. I just feel like this iteration of the defense is the best it's going to be. And so what do you really do with that? Um, with Hitchens eventually coming back. Now they're calling it a triceps contusion. We've seen mixed reports out there that there could be some nerve stuff going on with it. So who knows how soon we see him available, but I right. just, just wondering out loud what the chiefs will do defensively when he's, he's suddenly available again. Well, I agree with your point about the spark that these players are providing. I mean, I think we started to see some of that at the tail end of the week seven game. Uh, I know people want to say that, um, the Titans just took their foot off the gas in the second half, but I don't think so. I think the Titans still wanted to put points on the board. Um, they may not have wanted to move the ball quite as quickly in order to eat clock. I guess that's a little bit of taking the foot off the gas. But I also think the defense played better in the second half, and then that carried through into this game. And what was it that Ron Comp said, that that was one of the things he wanted to see from the defense uh, was the team to start fast and they did right they came out and looked good pretty pretty much from the start of the game and yeah they gave up some points but fewer than they have been and i think a lot of that comes from bolton and gay in there while hitchens has been out 
So I think it's a I think it's a fair question. You know, what do you do with Hitchens when and if he comes back? Uh, you know, we have to consider the possibility that this injury is more serious than we realize. Right. And uh, and if it isn't as serious as that, the Chiefs might decide, well, you know, it's a good excuse to keep these other kids on, this, on the field. So, Well, the thing that you know, and this is just football, right? Like, right. Hitchens and Clark could play really well the rest of the year, and you hope that they do because they have to sure. for the Chiefs to right. win the Super Bowl mm-hmm. this year. Uh, but they're 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 going to be gone next year. I mean, this is Nick Bolton's uh, job next year, and the Clark is just way too expensive for the injuries and the production you might get from him. Now, that being said, I want to go back to the first point part of my point here. The Chiefs need these guys uh, to be playing well. And I just want to zone in on on the last two plays of this game. How mm-hmm. long has yeah. it been since we felt like "quote unquote" sack nation was making any impact? And mm-hmm. this was a little scary at the end there with Daniel Jones with the ball in his hands and the refs kind of throwing flags at random spots, <laughs> and you don't know if the Giants are suddenly going to get a pass interference call down the field and at least be in a place to kick a field goal, if not worse. And there you had Chris Jones along the interior breaks through for a sack. And then even a bigger surprise is Frank Clark, who, you know, through his words. And I, I, I understand this cause I've done it. I did it myself where he's kind of like, you know, I haven't been in football shape. I've been unhealthy to start this year. And you kind of eye roll a little bit. You're like, come <laughs> on, Frank. But he did finally look a little bit healthy last night. And it just was so refreshing to see this version of, this tandem back i mean they talk some big talk um in the offseason about being the best defensive line tandem again when everybody was healthy you can understand it they had, they had big goals but this was a moment where like because of the offense and the way that it's playing right now you're going to need these two to make plays like this if you're going to win games like this even against a, a lowly giants team that turn into dog fights just because of where Uh, the organization and the team is at at this point. So I just thought that that was really refreshing. And the hope that you come out of that with is like, you've got to build on this. We need to see more of that. And and in the first quarter, not just the the fourth quarter, but wow. um, It it was a nice nostalgic reminder of the shark smelling blood in the water. As Mitch Holtis (laughs) likes to say, we haven't seen it in a very long time. Yeah. Well, and it's one of the ways that a defense can improve quickly. Um, you know, these issues the defense has where it's giving up, you know, a very large number of yards per play or, uh, you know, any of these statistical categories you want to name. The most important one is how many points they give up and making those kinds of plays in those kinds of moments, even if you're giving up a lot of yards during the game, um, you know, even if you're racking up a bunch of other negative statistics of one kind or another, making those plays allows you to be in positions to win games. Because as you said, uh, the Giants were in a position they could have come back and at least tied it, if not won it, uh, if they'd gotten a break go their way on that drive. And some would argue that they did, in fact, get a break, uh, yeah. that the Chiefs did get a with break the, on a on a penalty on that drive. So, um, yeah. you know, you gotta you got to make those plays in those moments that's the fastest way to make the defense more productive. And, and so, yes, that was a great moment in Monday night's game was, uh, you know, we saw those two players 
behaving in a way that we haven't seen for a while, and that's that's got to be a good sign. It's not to say they don't have problems to solve. They still have a thousand problems to solve. So does the offense. But you can only solve them one one problem at a time. You know, maybe, well, maybe five problems at a time if you've got a thousand of them. But you can't do them all overnight, you know. And um, uh, it's taken a while for these problems to develop, and it'll take a little while to fix all of them. The best you can do is just keep keep chopping wood and, and trying to fix it as you go. Any other marinated takeaways from you, John? Uh, no, I've had no time marinated. for mar- marination since <laughs> since so 13 marinated. hours ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I just have a, uh, a couple points about the offense and less specific takeaways and just more what I'm seeing. Um, I hate to say this and I don't, I don't know if it's not fixable, but Patrick Mahomes just looks, I don't even know if, if broken is right. It's almost like he looks, uh, uh, disturbed. Um, meaning like he just is not himself. I, I, I don't know what else to, to kind of describe it as, but I mean, we're used to a dynamic player, and the, one that was so confident during his MVP season and these past couple of years in just decisions that he was making. Maybe sometimes he made the wrong decision, but at least he was confident about it, right? Like he mm-hmm. wasn't like, yeah. should I run? Should I not run? Should I throw? Should I not throw? It was, no, this is the decision I'm making because my football sense, my football instincts is telling me that this is the right call. And that that is what makes Mahomes so good and the best quarterback in the league when he's playing at his best is this idea that he trusts his in- instincts and he lets his athleticism do, do the work. You saw him without having to think, I thought, on the opening script, which was finding players wide open, kudos to Andy Reid, in his first or second mm-hmm. read. Yeah. Throw, throw. Right. The rest of the game, it was kind of like pulling teeth. The offense was really working when they committed to running the football with Derek Gore, Mr. Gale Sayers, uh, as right. Andy Reid likes to talk about him, uh, coming out of the out of the woodwork and really uh, taking over that drive. And then you saw the offense kind of kind of get going there. But I just I I watch Mahomes and I'm like, this is not the same dude that we've watched the last three years, and. I think what scares me in that is when it's a quarterback and it's a mental thing, you really need an offseason to work through that. It's hard to really see a quarterback fix that in-game on a week-to-week basis, especially when you have Aaron Rodgers coming to town with 10 days rest and you have shortened rest five days to kind of figure this thing out because Aaron Rodgers is the opposite of that right now. He is – remember we used Mm -hmm. to call Alex Effett Alex – Aaron right. Rodgers is last <laughs> dance mode. I don't care. I'm not coming to OTAs because I'm in Hawaii with my girlfriend. The Packers are playing young and wild and free. They don't have Devontae Adams. They knock off an undefeated team on Thursday night football away. And 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 I I'm just you know, I watch watch Mahomes and I'm like, it's almost like he needs to go back to the lab, and I just don't think you have the time right now. And it doesn't help that teams have finally decided screw this, we're going to beat the hell out of Travis Kelsey. We're going to bracket him. We're going to beat him at the line. We're going to take him out of the game. Kind of in a similar sense to like how, you know, sometimes you'll see the Chiefs, oh, we'll, we'll let them run on us. We'll see how many points they score. 
maybe that's kind of where they're going with Tyree kill. Like we know Tyree kill is going to get his, but if we can beat up Kelsey and stop him, potentially we could stay in a game. And I think you saw that last night against the New York giants who have two wins on the year. And I don't want to say a blueprint is necessarily out on the chiefs, but you combine all these things, the, mishaps along the offensive line the idea that josh gordon just is not ready to be that guy that you need him to be you haven't seen hardman or demarcus robinson on a consistent basis be able to step up and be that sammy watkins type of guy when he was healthy that the chiefs really need to let this thing tick and i i i think my fear is that the offense is unfixable the the good thing is I could be very wrong about that. I mean, if you if there's anyone that's going to be able to fix this thing, it's Andy Reid. But I I just just talking about out loud about this game, I think that's where I, I have my worries. Well, I think it depends a lot on your perspective. If you're a fan of another team and you've been scared of Patrick Mahomes, and you cheered when the Chiefs gave him a five hundred million dollar contract because you thought, oh well, they'll never be able to put players alongside Mahomes when they're spending that kind of money. Right. Um, then your perspective is, see, he's not that great. He never was that great. He's just a flash in the pan. Now, if your perspective is a Chiefs fan and you've seen up close, not just on the highlight reels, but you've seen what he does every day in practice, what he says after practice, what he does on the field, when you take in the whole thing, um, I still have complete faith in Mahomes over the course of his contract. I still do. What we're seeing right now is bad. But something they said in the broadcast last night, I think, really struck me uh, and, and, and struck a chord with me. When they were talking about him uh, tucking in the ball while he was running with the ball. And he told, the in their production meeting, Mahomes told them, He'd never trained how to do that. Nobody would ever taken the time to show him how to do that. And I thought, I mean, how does that happen? How do you get all the way to the NFL, even as a quarterback, and never had a coach say to you, now look, when you're running with the ball, you've got to tuck it under your arm so nobody can punch it out easily. Right. And so... Now extend that to the rest of what we're seeing. All through his career, Mahomes has been able to get by on talent alone. Okay? He comes to the NFL. He manages to become the NFL MVP on talent alone. He said so in his first season. He didn't know how to read defenses. You know, he just, after he became MVP, then he figured out how to do it. And so he's learning how to do this job at the pro level and being taught how to do things that he's never done before. Right. He's going to need to do those things because he won't be that 23 year old kid who has all the talent in the world and can succeed on the basis of that talent alone for 15 years. He's going to have to have that training in order to be successful over the long term. He will always be, he will always have that part of him in him. And he keeps saying that, you know, I'm always going to be a guy that's going to look for those kinds of plays, but he's also got to learn how to take the other ones. We saw signs of that in the Monday night game. And I found that to be a very, uh, a very strong indicator that things are starting to go the right way. 
But you're crazy if you think there's not going to be some growing pains in this process. And maybe yeah. they'll last a whole season. What, what's yeah? What's tough about that is is some of the best parts of his game are when he goes off script and and sure. you're seeing the process right now. It's playing out before our eyes, as you mentioned, where he's trying to figure out when to do that and when not to do that mm-hmm. because you know it's gotten to a point where defenses are adjusting. We knew that this would happen at a certain point, and, and we'll see if he comes out on the other side. We we know that he has the talent to to get there, and I think he'll get at he'll get there. I like I. I just, I just wonder if 2021 is a lab, you know, mm-hmm. in this, in this long story of Mahomes, where this is the year where the Chiefs kind of felt fall off a little bit because he's going through that process, and maybe it's, you know, coming back stronger next year. That, that's, I think, my worry at this stage. And, and guess what? We will get to find out all of that. I thought this was interesting, John. Before we go, the Chiefs actually opened as two and a half point favorites, which changed very quickly. They are now one point underdogs. So. Uh, home underdogs, it's got to be for the first time in a while against the Green Bay Packers. Are you surprised by that at all? Uh, no. Uh-uh. I mean, I, I, I think that uh, outside of Kansas City, people looked at it just the same as we did. Yeah. That unless this was a, an enormous two-touchdown victory, it didn't mean much. Um, I'm still glad we got the win. <laughs> it's always right. better to have the W than the L. Um, oh, okay, John B. Y- enemy. We yeah. did it. Yeah, um, all about we the only alphabet. count the letters. Yeah, <laughs> all about the alphabet. But yeah, I'm not surprised by that. And you know, the line could could shift again before the game. These That's things right. have been known to happen. Kind of feels like a pick'em. We'll see what happens here as the Chiefs get ready to play the Green Bay Packers. A little bit of a different editor show today with the primetime game on Monday night, but we hope that you enjoyed it. If you enjoy the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, please, as always, leave us a rating and a review coming up on Wednesday, the return of the Arrowhead Drive, followed by the Great British Chiefs show, and onward we go with the week. It's the America's Game of the Week, and so get ready for what should be a lot of hype leading into Mahomes against Rodgers. This was a game where we were supposed to get this a while back. It ended up being War versus Rodgers. I'm pretty sure we're finally getting Mahomes and Rodgers. For John Dixon, I'm Pete Sweeney. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's show. Show.